Romans chapter 12, please. Romans chapter 12. direct your attention to just one verse this morning, Romans 12 and verse 3. The Bible says, For I say, through the grace given unto me, to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. Paul's statement is a challenging one for us, and we're going to break this verse down and unpack it here in just a little bit. But he says, I say through the grace given unto me to every man, every man that is among you, and he's writing to a church, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly. And we're going to talk about uh, the heart of humility today and how Humility is really a virtue that we all need to grow in. Uh, Three times in Romans chapter 11, Paul warns against pride. In chapter 11 in verse 18, Paul says, Boast not against the, the branches, but if thou boast, thou bearest not the root, but the root thee. He talks about boasting there, warning against pride. Verse 20 He says in verse 20, well, because of unbelief, they were broken off and now standest by faith. Be not high minded, but fear. Verse 25, he says, for I would not, brethren, that ye should be ignorant of this mystery, lest ye should be wise in your own conceits. That blindness in part has happened to Israel. That's usually the way it is when we are operating in an attitude of pride. We're blind blind to ourselves, blind in our own conceits, uh, thinking of ourselves more highly than we ought. So Paul warns against pride. He brings it up again in chapter 12 in our text in verse 3. He's going to mention it again in chapter 12 uh, in verse 10. He mentions it indirectly. He says, be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love in honor, preferring one another. So he mentions it indirectly there. Uh, giving preference or or honor to one another. Uh, he mentions it directly in verse 16 of chapter 12. Be of the same mind one toward another. Mind not high things, but condescend to men of low estate. Be not wise in your own conceits. So he mentions it again. Don't be haughty in your mind or in your thinking. In chapter 14, in verse 4, he says, Who art thou that judgest another man's servant? To his own master he standeth or falleth, yea, ye shall be holden up, for God is able to make him stand. He says, who are you to judge another man's servant? In verse 10 of chapter 14, but why dost thou judge thy brother? Or why dost thou set it not thy thy brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And in that verse, he says, why do you judge your brother? Did you know what? Did you know this, that pride is the underlying sin behind the attitude that comes with a judgmental spirit? Pride is the attitude behind it. We sit in judgment over other people. 
oh, I could do that better. And what is it, what is it, that, what is it that drives the need to be recognized? It's pride in the heart. Sitting in judgment over other people in that way is rooted in pride. Paul was concerned that his readers understand and grow in humility. Um, Back in the 70s, this was introduced into American culture. And that was right about the time that psychology really started to flood uh, Western society and even Western Christianity, really. But since that time, and you see it still prevalent in Christianity and in the culture, uh, since that time, we've been flooded with books that tell us that we need to grow in our self-esteem uh, or we need to love ourselves, etc., etc. Um, one of the most prominent promoters during that time of that, you know, what we would call, what they would call virtue of self-esteem was Robert Schuller. He was a, a he was popular. And he wrote a book called Self-Esteem, The New Reformation. And in that book, he said this. He said, in my lectures to thousands of ordained clergy of the widest cross-section of, of historic Christianity, I have found it necessary to tell my colleagues, dare to be a possibility thinker. Do not fear pride. The easiest job God has is to humble us. God almost... God's almost impossible task, though, is to keep us believing every hour of every day how great we are as his sons and daughters on this planet Earth. Here's a Christian, quote, Christian leader. And he's writing and saying, don't fear pride. God's easiest job is to humble you. But what you need to do is remember how great you are as sons and daughters of God. Now, listen, as sons and daughters of God, we are privileged. Amen. It is only by the grace of God. But if we should not fear pride, if that should not be something that we're concerned about, then why does James chapter 4 say, God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble? Why does God promise in Isaiah chapter 66 and verse 2 that the man that he will look to is the man who is of a contrite spirit and a humble heart, the one who trembles at his word? That's the one that God looks to. If we shouldn't fear pride, why does Proverbs 16 and verse 18 say pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall? Why does Paul say in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 12, Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall, if we're not to fear pride. Satan's sin, according to the word of God, was that his heart was lifted up in pride. Ezekiel 28 and verse 17 says that. He wanted to make himself like the Most High. Isaiah 14 and verse 14. And since pride is the root of sin, it would seem that we should fear pride and seek to grow in humility. Amen? But what is humility exactly? What is it really? Well, we're going to try to define it here, and then we're going to break that verse down and point out some principles that Paul lays out for us that will be beneficial to us. But what is humility really? One writer said this. He said, it's the spontaneous recognition 
of the creature's absolute dependence on his creator. Humility is the logical corollary corollary of sin consciousness. In other words, what he's saying, when we recognize what we are, we understand what we are in light of who God is, it has a way of humbling us. There's another book out there called Humility, The Beauty of Holiness. The author is Andrew Murray. He says this, the humility is the place of entire dependence on God. He adds this, humility is not so much a grace or virtue along with others. It is the root of all of them because it alone takes the right attitude before God and allows him as God to do all. It is simply the sense of entire nothingness which comes when we see how truly God is all and in which we make way for God to be all. In other words, it's he must increase and I must decrease. There's another book written by Stuart Scott, and he says, when someone is humble, they are focused on God and others, not self. Even their focus on others is out of a desire to love and glorify God. A humble person's goal is to elevate God and encourage others. In short, they no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them. Here's another helpful definition. Humility is honest and honestly assessing of ourselves in light of God's holiness and our sinfulness. Without an honest awareness of both of those realities, all self-evaluation will be skewed and will fail to either understand or practice humility. And so we can sum up that true humility means seeing God as the all in all, as the giver and the sustainer of everything, and seeing ourselves as sinful and needy of him so that we totally trust in him. Paul ends Romans chapter 11 in verse 36 with these words. He says, Romans eleven thirty six: for of him and through him and to him are all things to whom be glory forever. You know what? That is a, we all say, amen to that statement. But when it comes to our daily life, it comes to our service to the Lord, it comes to our service in the church. Is that statement true? For of him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory. Amen? That's a mindset that we need to ask the Lord to help us develop where we are constantly judging our dependence on ourselves and affirming our gratitude and dependence for him. We need to ask the Lord to help us develop that. James 4.10 says, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord. And he shall lift you up. So our text says, for I say, through the grace given unto me, to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. The context of Romans 12 is Paul's emphasis 
on loving relationships inside of a church. And you'll see that as you read through Romans chapter 12. And it's significant that he is introducing this subject of loving relationships inside of a church by confronting the issue of pride and exhorting to humility first. It's very significant. Because none of those other things actually function or work right unless there's a humble heart first. And so Paul addresses the issue of pride before he gets into these loving relationships inside of a church. The Bible tells us that pride is actually the root of all relational conflicts. Proverbs 13 and verse 10, Only by pride cometh contention. So there's an element of pride whenever there is contention. Somewhere, only by pride cometh contention. Humility, then, is the foundation for godly, loving relationships. Pride is something that is endemic to our sinful nature. I mean, you see it from the time a child is born, essentially. You watch two toddlers playing together, and you can see one selfishly grab a toy and say, that's mine, and then the other one fights back trying to get what he thinks is his right to play with and so on. And what is it that drives the need for recognition? Oh, well, I want that recognition for myself. I want to be acknowledged. I want to be recognized for the things I do. When someone else is getting the recognition. You know, and we look at children and we see them operating on a child's level and we grow in our adulthood and we get more sophisticated and how we do things, but the root or the conflict is still the same. You understand what I'm saying? And so when Paul says this, notice what he says. For I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you. When he says, I say to every man that is among you, he's emphasizing that this is not something that only a few of us need to work on Pride is endemic to our fallen human heart. And so in verse 3, Paul is telling us it is vital. It is vital for each of us to develop humility in light of God's grace to us in order for us to have right functioning relationships in the church and in order to serve God. And so Paul outlines a few things for us here in this verse that will help us in remembering and developing humility in our life. Let's pray, and then we'll ask the Lord to help us with this, and then we'll, we'll get into it. Heavenly Father, we do ask you, Lord, for your grace today. And, and Lord, I, I ask, Lord, that you would help us, Lord, to see ourselves in light of you. And Lord, I want the same for my own life. And uh, sometimes we falter and we fail, and we don't even intend to. But it's the, it's the wicked human heart that is full of pride that is exerting itself. And Lord, I pray that you would help us, Lord, to judge that old man, to put him off. And Lord, to put on the new man, which is created in Christ Jesus. And, and let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. 
who is a humble servant. And Lord, I pray that you would use your word today to speak to our hearts and Lord, to challenge us and even encourage us in righteousness and true holiness. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, the first thing that Paul brings out and really is helpful to us in the development of humility in our life is is really the first words that he says, for I say through the grace given unto me. The first step or, or helpful thought here to develop true humility is always to keep the grace of God in view. Always keep the grace of God in view. Paul begins here, for through the grace given unto me. Now, he's probably referring specifically to the grace given to him as an apostleship in his apostleship and in preaching the gospel and the revelation of God to him and so on. And he says in Romans chapter 1, in verse 5, Paul says this, By whom we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name. He says in chapter 15 of Romans, in, in verse uh, chapter 15 and verse 15, uh, he says, Nevertheless, brethren, I have written the more boldly unto you, unto you in, in some sort as putting you in mind because of the grace that is given to me of God, that I should be the minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, ministering the gospel of God, that the offering up of the Gentiles might be acceptable, being sanctified by the Holy Ghost. He says it's God's grace that's given to him so that he can be the minister of Jesus Christ and to preach the gospel. And so Paul's probably referring to the grace given to him in his apostleship and in preaching the gospel and so on. But what that means for us is that the thing that he's about to say next is not just helpful hints for happy living. Rather, what he's saying is, this is from God. God has given me this grace. Now I'm telling you. And so it tells us that it's a command of the Lord that, listen, when we operate in pride, we are being disobedient to God. Paul's not just giving some helpful hints here. And you know, the truth might be that if anybody was susceptible to pride, it might be those who were holding the office of apostleship. But Paul was always aware, keenly aware, that he held this position only by the grace of God. He says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, in verse 9, 1 Corinthians 15, 9, where he says, For I am the least of the apostles, that I'm not meet to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace, which was bestowed upon me, was not in vain. But I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God, which was with me. And so Paul was always aware that it was only by the grace of God. And, and let me make the application here, because you know what? The office of an apostle may no longer be given. That is true. But the principle still holds true, and we can apply it across the board, not just with those in positions of authority, but really in any area of service that we have to the Lord. This principle applies. Now, you might have a prominent gift. You might be public in your ministry, and one that is prone to pride could be those who have a more public ministry. That is true. But it doesn't matter what ministry you hold if we don't remember that everything we are and everything we have is only from the grace of God. We're going to be lifted up in pride. 
the fact that we're saved, amen, is only by the grace of God. The unmerited, unearned favor of God. It's because God was gracious to us. It's not a reward for our good behavior to him. If it wasn't for the grace of God, we'd still be in our sin and we'd still be headed for judgment and hell. But whatever natural or spiritual gifts that we have, those are also due to the grace of God. See what Paul says to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. They were kind of arrogant. And he says to them in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, in verse 7, he says, 1 Corinthians 4, 7, For who maketh thee to differ from another? And what hast thou that thou didst not receive? Now, if thou didst receive it, why dost thou glory as if thou hadst not received it? He says, you're not any different than anybody else. You might have some gifts, you might have some abilities, but you're really not any different than anybody else. And it doesn't make you special, more special than them. And he says, what do you even have that wasn't given to you of God in the first place? So if you were given that, then why do you glory in it as if it was your own? As if you deserve that? That's what he's saying to them. And so the foundation for true humility, number one, is always to keep God's grace in view. Keep coming back to the cross. You know what? The Lord Jesus did not die because, for our sins because we were worthy of it. He didn't die for us because he knew that he was getting a real prize when he got me or you. John Newton put it rightly when he said, Amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Jesus Christ came and humbled himself and gave his life for a wretch, not a prize. (laughs) I read this. I thought it was interesting in light of what we have already talked about, about these prominent Christian uh, preachers or authors who say things like, we don't need to fear pride, and so on. There's a story or an actual event that happened. There was a university choir. It was a, quote, Christian university choir that was coming to sing on Robert Keeler's Hour of Power on TV. Maybe some of you know that show. But they were going to sing Amazing Grace. And he made them, required them, to take out the word wretch. Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saves a wretch like me. He made them take the word wretch out and sing that saved my soul for me. And he said this, you can't have high self-esteem if you call yourself a wretch. Really? You want to talk about arrogance or pride. The way to remain or to develop humility is to remember that it's only by the grace of God that I am what I am or have anything in this life at all. And to him be glory. The second 
not only to keep the grace of God in view, but the second thought to develop humility is to work on going lower, not higher. Notice what he says in Romans 12 again, in verse 3. For I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you. We all deal with this. And then he says not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly. He says don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to think, but to think soberly. You know what? The danger is not that we think too lowly of ourselves, but to think too highly of ourselves. Paul doesn't tell us that we need to build our self-esteem or our self-confidence in order to succeed for the Lord. You hear people say that all the time, that the reason for their success is like, I just believed in myself. You ever hear that on interviews after, after sports events and so on? And the, the, the reporter will come like, how do, you, how do you feel? Or how, did you, how were you able to accomplish this? Well, I just believed in myself. I just kept on believing in myself. The Bible says that those who believe in themselves are actually cursed. Jeremiah 17, 5, Thus saith the Lord, Cursed be the man that trusteth in man, and maketh flesh his arm, and whose heart departeth from the Lord. 2 Corinthians 3, 5, Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything as of ourselves, but our sufficiency is of God. 2 Corinthians 3, 6, Who also hath made us able ministers. God is the one who's made us able ministers. I don't think we can find a single instance in the Bible where the Lord tells somebody who is bemoaning his weaknesses or his inadequacies is that, that he should start believing in himself more. I don't think you're going to find it. Remember Job? I love using Job as an illustration. I really do, because there's a lot of illustrations that come out of this. But think about his life. Think about his situation. What happened? He lost his possessions. He lost his children. He lost his health. He lost his so-called friends. They berated him. For over 30 chapters in the book of Job, his friends are berating him, saying, there's got to be some kind of sin in you, Job. And all of these things happen, and you, we might look at like, man, what a rough situation. You should have some more compassion on Job. And God might be looking down and saying, boy, they're really treating Job really unfairly. But you know what God says when God finally speaks to Job? He spends two chapters, chapter 38 and 39, showing Job how little he knows and how powerless he is compared to God. He doesn't say, Job, it's okay. It's okay. I know it's rough. Your friends are so mean. Nobody understands you. Do you like to be misunderstood? I hate it. I'm constantly misunderstood. I'm just this nice guy. I'm just trying to help. And there's people misunderstand me all the time. Feel sorry for me. Come on. But God says, Job, you don't know anything. And you aren't anything compared to the greatness of God. Go to Job chapter 40 because I just want you to see this. I want you to see Job's response. Job chapter 40 in verse 3. 
Let's just go back to verse 1. Moreover, the Lord answered Job and said, Shall he that contendeth with the Almighty instruct him? He that reproves of God, let him answer it. He's like, all right, Job, what do you got to say? Then Job answered the Lord and said, Behold, I am vile. What shall I answer thee? I will lay mine hand upon my mouth. Once have I spoken, but I will not answer. Yea, twice, but I will proceed no further. Job got the hint, and the Lord doesn't come along and comfort Job and say, Come on, Job, it's okay. You're the most righteous man on the earth. Don't talk like that, Job. Look at how great you are. Rather, the Lord goes on putting Job in perspective of things for two more chapters Again, for two more chapters, giving Job some more perspective. And he concludes in chapter 42 and verse 6. And Job says this, Wherefore, I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. That's where Job, the most righteous man on the earth. God said that he was. That's where he needed to be, right there. I abhor myself and I repent. In dust and ashes. And it was only after that that the Lord restored Job. I want you to note also Peter's response to the Lord in Luke chapter 5. Peter was kind of a self made man. He was, I think, as we read on the life of Peter, you kind of get the idea that. He was a bit arrogant or that he was self-confident, that he was maybe a bit of a loose cannon in some ways and he wouldn't think before he spoke, that kind of stuff. In Luke chapter 5, after this miracle, I'll get there myself, Luke 5 and verse 8, this, after this miracle of catching the fish, this is what, well, let's just read a, a few verses here. Verse 4, now when he had left off speaking, he said unto Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a draft. And Simon answering unto him said, Master, we have toiled all the night and have taken nothing. Nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down the net. And when he had this done, they enclosed a great multitude of fishes and their net break. And they beckoned unto their partners, which were in the other ship, that they should come and help them. And they came and filled both the ships so that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. His response was one of humility. He said, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. You know what? Jesus didn't correct him after that. Jesus didn't correct him by saying, come on, Simon, you need to think more highly of yourself. I think if we could find any verses that tell us we need to build our self-esteem or love ourselves more or think more highly of ourselves, I mean, I'd be glad to consider it, but we're not going to find it in the Bible. We're going to find the opposite. What is the second great commandment? Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. 
It's not commanding us to love ourselves more. It's not commanding us to think of ourselves more. Rather, it assumes that there's an innate love for self, and that is the standard by which we ought to strive to love other people. Because there's this innate love for self that is going to take care of self. Now, we are God's children. We ought to see ourselves as God's beloved children. We are identified with Christ. Yes, we possess his gracious gifts for service. Those are blessings that are upon us, but they are all due to the grace of God, not something that is inherent in us. And so in order to develop humility, we need to work on going lower. I must decrease. He must increase. Romans 12 in verse 16 says, Be of the same mind one toward another. Mind not high things, but condescend to men of low estate. Be not wise in your own conceits. Philippians 2, 3, Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. What is it, again, that is the drive for us to to, to be recognized, to be praised. What is the drive? It's pride in the heart, and it's a desire for self-elevation. When the Bible says, in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Ephesians 4.2, with all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love. Colossians 3.2, put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering. Colossians 3.13, and the list goes on. Forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. So the idea here is, number one, it's only by God's grace that I am anything at all, that I have anything. Number two, I need to work on going lower, not higher, not to think of myself more highly, but to think of others and prefer one another, others before myself. And then thirdly, it's to remember that all I have, including my faith, comes from God. Notice what he says in chapter 12, again in verse 3. For I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. Paul says that we're to think soberly here. The word soberly means to be of sound mind, to be sane, to have sound judgment. <laughs> I think that's interesting. Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to think, but think soberly. Be of sound mind. Be sane. In other words, when you think more highly of yourself than you should, you're insane. Kind of. Because nothing is of you. Nothing is of me. It's all of God. And then he says, God hath dealt to every man according to the measure of faith. The word measure there indicates varying amounts. It's not referring to salvation in this context, although faith for salvation is also a gift from God, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. But in verse 4, 
Paul says that we all have different functions in the body. Notice, for as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office, so we, being many, are one body in Christ, and every one members one of another. So he's saying we all have different functions in the body, and God has dealt to every person according to the measure of faith in varying amounts. In verse 6, he says, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, whether prophecy, let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith. And so he says we have gifts that differ according to the grace that is given to us, and that we are to exercise these gifts according to the measure or the proportion of faith. So Paul is talking about varying amounts of faith that God has given to different believers for the exercise of various spiritual gifts. And he talks about that in 1 Corinthians 12, uh, precisely, where he says, you know what, not everybody's the eye, not everybody is the hearing, and, and so on. We all have different uh, functions, just like your body has different functions, but it's for the good of the whole. So whatever the gift that God has given, it is from God, and it is for the glory of God, not for the glory of self. Inherent in the word gift is that it's not of our own doing. We have a gift to teach. It's not of our own doing. Gift to preach. It's not of our own doing. It's given by God and for the glory of God. We have a gift for music. We have a gift for giving. A gift for praying. Whatever the gift, it's for the glory of God and the good of the whole. It's not our own doing. And therefore, listen, listen, listen. That attitude and that mindset helps eliminate pride that I want accolades. I want the recognition. How can I boast when I'm only doing what God has graciously enabled me to do? That attitude also checks us from comparing ourselves with others who might be more visible than we are. Do you ever find that to be a true thing? Comparing ourselves amongst ourselves? The Bible says those that do that are not wise. It's a common stumbling block, not just for pastors. I, I've seen it before, though, <laughs> with pastors. You go to conferences and you go to meetings and stuff, and you see pastors with bigger churches or pastors who are in more demand. They're being asked to preach around in these different places and so on. Maybe some are writing books and having books published, and, and others start to get jealous. Why? Well, I, I want that that recognition. Listen, whatever gift God's given, whether it's preaching the gospel, whether it's teaching a Sunday school class, whether it's giving, whether it's singing, whether it's playing an instrument, whatever it is, we should rejoice one with another because God gave you that gift and God wants you to serve right here in this church for the good of the whole, and for the glory of God. And God gave me a gift. It's different than yours, but all of us are, are, are rooting and trying for the very same thing, that the church is edified and God is glorified. 
right? We're on the same team. And we should make sure that we are properly using the gifts that God has given to us and then rejoice even if someone else's gift is greater than ours. Rejoice that God is the one getting the praise and the glory for that. So to develop humility, keep God's grace in view. I, only, I am what I am by the grace of God. Work on going lower, not higher. Preferring others better than ourselves. Think soberly, sanely, in estimation of ourselves, And remember that all we have, including our faith, comes from God, and it's got to be exercised for Him. And to operate otherwise or in selfishness and pride is not of a sound mind. <laughs> so, let me wrap it up with a statement or two. There are times when I see this in my own life, the tendency, because it's, it's endemic to our fleshly condition. And sometimes I see it in saints of God, too, who do not think about these kinds of things with sound judgment. And they don't evaluate what God has given to them to do and then just go about doing it for the glory of God. And it's more of a personal thing that I want this. And the truth of the matter is, saints of God, church member, one day we're all going to stand before the Lord and we're all going to give account of ourselves to God. And what we want to hear is the Lord being proud. The Lord saying, well done, thou good and faithful, what? Servant. Servant. I'm going to give account for myself. You're going to give account for yourself. But all in all, we're to be servants of the Lord. So let me encourage you with the fact that every body part is needed, yes, and everyone has a job to do. We all have spiritual gifts. We're all part of this same body. But the question is, are we using it for the glory of God and for the good of the whole? Are we humbly serving one another and serving the Lord? We glorify Him by serving Him with true humility in light of His gracious gifts to us. Amen? Think soberly, as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. I speak this to every man, Paul says. And so let's ask the Lord to examine our own heart, number one, and then we'll ask the Lord to help us in those areas that he highlights. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, would you help us today and Encourage us with your word and challenge us with it at the same time. Lord, may we remember that it's only by your grace and all for your glory. Lord, that we would humbly serve the Lord Jesus Christ and serve one another. Lord, to be grateful unto you for where you've placed us and what you've given us to do. What a blessed treasure it is 
to be able to serve the Most High God. And Lord, may we never boast in things that are not of our own doing. And Lord, I pray that you'd help us to glory only in Christ and only in the grace of God. I pray, Lord, that you would even work in hearts of those that are not saved to come to a place of genuine repentance toward God. There's got to be humility. An understanding of the fact that I'm lost. I'm a wretch. I'm in trouble with God. And I need Him. And so, Lord, I pray that you'd accomplish your will in these few moments. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.